Hello and welcome to Grace Life Rondebosch, a church situated in Cape Town, South Africa. We pray that this teaching will awaken your heart to the reality of Christianity, which is Christ in you, and that this will result in increased fruitfulness in your life. major things which stand out in this series for me so far. The reality of Christianity is Christ in us. That's, that's what Christianity is, is Christ in us. And then we are actually one with each other. That's part of the reality of Christianity. And, uh, uh, you know, when we started the series, we were, we, like, it was after e- extreme lockdown and all of that, when we started um, uh, um, Rondebosch here, the church, and it was amazing because now we're focusing in on how community is being one with each other. Community is, is uh, um, you know, the, the, the church is the community of the saints. And it's family and it's relationship and all of this type of stuff. And then, you know, COVID gets worse a little bit in, in South Africa. And, and in, we had a couple of people get COVID. And, and we had the opportunity to really practice what we were learning and, pre- and what I was preaching in the sense of looking after one another and caring for one another. And it's really awesome to see, and, and this has been a testimony of many people over the last couple of weeks, how they've seen family in action. Not just here in Rondebosch, but at all the different Grace Life campuses in Rond- um, Stellenbosch and Tigerberg and Piketberg and in Johannesburg and um, uh, Albania. And uh, it's been amazing just to see how what we believe actually can be lived out. You know, that it's not just a, a let's go to church, tick a box, let's go to this amazing club and, and uh, uh, sing a song or two and then have a good message and give in the bucket and go home. And then, you know, you never actually know people in the room. You know, and it takes time to know people, etc. But, you know, we, we really need to, to see each other as family. And that's what this is, is family. Uh, and, uh, you know, it might be a bit weird at first, but, but that's what the body of Christ is. Amen? <laughs> it's family. So, we, we're in the book of Ephesians, and we're in chapter 4 uh, uh, at the moment. And remember, the reality is Christ in us, and we're one with each other. The first half of the book of Ephesians, chapters 1, 2, and 3, Paul is speaking about this is who you are in Christ. This is your identity. Because you're a Christian, this is who you are. You're a saint. You're a holy one. Okay? It's, it's not just Mother Teresa and company who are saints. It's all of the believers he calls saints. That's what God sees us. He, a saint is a holy one, set apart. So that's who we are. Okay? And it's not talking about actions. It's talking about identity. How many of you know there are humans that don't act human? <laughs> there, there, there are humans that act like animals. Okay, whether it's psychological or whether it's just immaturity, you know, they've got a problem. And so that proves that you've got a lot of Christians as well. There are saints, they are holy ones that act like sinners. But they're not sinners. They've got an identity crisis. They're not focused on the right identity. Okay, because for a, a, we, we spoke about this way back uh, in the beginning of the series. Um, We've we, we got to stop seeing ourselves as sinners saved by grace. Because God doesn't see us like that. He sees us as we were sinners, we got saved by grace, and now we are righteous. 100% right with God. 
Okay, so that's the first half of the book of Ephesians, talking about who we are and our identity in Christ. And then in the second half, it starts to get into action. This is how you can live because of who you are. See, because you're a human, because you've got, like, if, if you're a fully functioning human and you've got all the muscles necessary, all the limbs and all of that, it's like you can do X, Y, and Z. You can train yourself and you can mature to the place where you can go, compete in the Olympics, you know, whatever the case is. Um, uh, uh, you can cut the grass, <laughs> you know, with a lawnmower. You can, you can do things that mature people would do or pay someone to do. Um, so, you know, this is showing us that also in Christ we grow to a place, not spiritually speaking, but maturing-wise, where we can now live like Jesus. Because we've got Jesus in us. Our identity is in Christ, and our potential is Christ. And not all Christians live up to that potential, but we can. But we've got to mature in it by discovering who we are in Christ. What is our identity? What does God say about us? And right in the beginning of the book of Ephesians, he says, saints. That's like the number one thing. Realizing that God sees you as a holy one. Set apart. He doesn't see you as somebody who needs to get their act together. I, yeah, for, for a long time, my test, Christian testimony was, I felt like God was expecting me to get my act together. And I just wasn't good enough. Yeah, and it was when I was um, uh, in a Christian bookshop in Pretoria one year, and I was looking at the bookshelf, and, and this one book came, I picked it up, and at the back it says, Are you good enough for God? And I was like, I'm not, I need this book. And I read it, it was a, a, a Grace, the Power of the Gospel. And it radically changed my life because all of a sudden I realized like I am good enough for God. God isn't judging me based on my weaknesses and my failures because I'm in Christ now. And the more I see myself in Christ, the more I'll start to be transformed. Okay? So from chapters 4, 5, and 6, you start to see a lot of practical encouragement or instruction and things like that. And if you just focus on those things, it can become a bit heavy and even legalistic if you don't look at the root. So the root is, this is who you are in Christ, chapters 1, 2, and 3. The fruit of the root is, love one another. Don't lie. You know, uh, and whatever other instruction it gives there, which we'll look at some of it now. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, chapter, 20, uh, chapter 4, verse 22. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 4, 22 to 24. It says, You put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So we looked at this a bit last week. And, and I want to look at it from a little bit of a different angle tonight. And that is, why would you do this? <clears throat> why would you do this? Why would you put off the old man, okay, the sinner? The, 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 yeah, he's dead, but now why would you stop living like him? Why would you... Why would you um, uh, uh, renew your, the, your, the spirit of your mind. Why would you put on the new man? Which, is, you know, which, which basically you could say start to live righteously. Start to live holy. Why would you do that? Well, number one, because you are righteous and you are holy. So start to act like it. You know, hey, you're a human. Stop acting like an animal. That kind of uh, 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 comparison. But another reason is, let me get there in, in a minute and say, 
Would it, why would you live holy and righteous? Don't answer this out loud when I say this. Is it because it pleases God? Think about it. Don't answer. Think about it. Because when I was meditating on this and putting this on paper, I was like, that sounds right. I live righteous. I live holy because it pleases God. And for a lot of us, our desire and our aim to live holy and live righteous would be because we want to please God. Okay, that's getting the, the, the cart before the horse. It's the wrong way around. Why would we want to live righteous and holy? Let me put it to you that, yes, it, it would please God's heart, but He's pleased with you whether you do that or not. How do I know that? Look at Hebrews chapter 6, 11, sorry, <laughs> verse 6. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, Without faith it's impossible to please God, please Him. Okay? So faith is what pleases God. Okay? Faith is what pleases God. So you've got some people who are living holy lives and they don't please God. Because it's not rooted in faith. So you can have the actions, if you don't have the root, it's useless. It's, it's not useless in the sense of, we appreciate you living holy. <laughs> you know, your, your, your family, your friends, your loved ones appreciate it very much. But the reality is, it's got no, like, God's not interested. It doesn't affect Him. Faith, saving faith, when we put our faith in Christ, we please God. That's what this verse is saying. Without faith, it's talking about saving faith, it's impossible to please God. So now that you believe Jesus, now that you've become a Christian, you please God. You, you've got to have that solidified in your heart so that you're not doing the right things trying to get God, or trying to get in, in, in God's favor. Trying to, to make God pleased with you. You've got to be convinced that I please God. Otherwise, everything you're going to do, you're going to give money into the offering to try and please God. You're going to, you're going to serve uh, 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 wherever you serve. Do good things. Trying to please God. When that's the wrong way around. You know, Jesus goes to get baptized in water by John the Baptist. Okay? And he gets dunked, comes up, the spirit, it says like the Spirit came upon him like a dove. And then what does the voice from heaven say? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Okay? You can go and look at it in Matthew chapter 3. Let me ask you this question. At that moment, was God, Father, pleased with Jesus' Son? Yes, that's what it says. What did Jesus do before that? What, what miracle? Name one. You can't. What crusade did he have? How, how many thousands had he ministered to? Zip. What, what, did, what did Jesus do to deserve a, I'm well pleased with you? After that, he feeds 5,000 from a few loaves and fishes. After that, he, he heals the lame and, and the, the raises the dead and does all of these things. But, but, you know, that's only... God's already told him, I'm pleased with you. Before he's done any miracle. Before he's done anything. Let me put it to you like this. In order for us to be able to do the miraculous, to be able to live like Jesus, we too need to hear that in our hearts, I please God. We need to know in our hearts, God is saying to us, because we're a son, it's not about what we do, it's about our identity. 
You're a son, you're a daughter. Now you need to be convinced. I please God. Which means I'm just acceptable to Him. He accepts me. And when you're convinced of that, that's the platform from which a fruitful life comes. That's the platform by which you can go and live a holy life. Go and do do what, what God's called you to do. Otherwise, if you're not convinced that you please God, even if you do diddly squat for Him, if you're not convinced of that, what's going to happen is you're always going to strive and you're always going to be tired and you're always going to be trying your best but you're going to come to the end of yourself. And then you'll need to go to Matthew 11 and you're going to need to be encouraged by the words of Jesus which say, Come unto me, all who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know, Jesus in that, that, that passage is talking about are you burnt, uh, I think it's the Message Bible puts it nicely. It says, are you worn out, burned out on religion? Okay, what would religion be in that case? It would be you trying to please God. The Christian life is not about you trying to please God. The Christian life is about realizing, I please God. Now I rest in that and I have a fruitfulness that comes from that. That's good news. That's very good. So the reason why we live like this, why we, we need to live righteous, why we need to live holy, is because, one of the other reasons is because it affects all of us. I kind of mentioned this a little bit last week. You know, we're part of one another. And so when we choose to put on the new man, when we choose to live like Jesus, it blesses the community. It blesses the world. Okay? I mean, how many of you, the people that live in close proximity to you, would just love it if you were a bit more like Jesus? <laughs> or let me put it like this they love it because you are so much like Jesus. Amen? <laughs> you know, we got to kind of see that, that this affects everyone. It's not just a self-centered decision. Okay, let's look at Ephesians chapter 4. We'll go down from 25 to 29, and we're just going to look at a couple of points in this. It says, Ephesians chapter 4 from verse 25 to 29. Therefore, putting away a lion, okay, let each of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. So here he says, we are members. We are part of one another. Because you're part of one another, don't lie. So it's not just a thou shalt not lie. It's, it's giving you the heart of that. We're part of each other. If you lie to someone, especially of the household of faith, you're causing destruction in relationships. This whole, Ephesians chapter 4, 5, 6 has a lot to do with relationships within the church family. And showing how we should be promoting unity and love and togetherness. Okay, verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go, get down on your wrath. Nor give place to the devil. You know, there's lots that we can say in all of this. Verse 28. Let him who stole steal no longer. But rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for, for, uh, for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. So this is describing the fruitfulness of who we are in Christ. Okay, if you've heard about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control from Galatians chapter 5, 23, uh, 22, 23, the fruit of the Spirit is describing Jesus. Okay, it, it's not giving you a benchmark of what to live up to. 
You know, most of the time it's presented as this is your goal. You need to be more loving. You need to be more patient. You need to be more whatever. And, and that's a burden because you can't without Jesus. And it says the fruit of the Spirit. So, you know, if it says fruit, it means it's a natural byproduct of having the Spirit of God to be loving, to be patient, to be kind. Now, all of us as believers are tempted with opportunities like that. We're tempted with opportunities to love. And we have the opportunity to say yes or to say no. The more we say no to doing what's right, the more our, uh, uh, our hearts are hardened to the truth. And the more we say yes to what's right, the more our hearts are sensitive to, to the Spirit of God and to truth. And so this is why you get some believers who would be able to lie and not be bothered by it. Because they've, they've, they've hardened their conscience. They've, 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 uh, they've uh, destroyed their sensitivity to what is right and what is wrong. Because they've, they, they've not given in to their new nature, which is inside of you. You've, the moment you say yes to Jesus, Jesus lives in you. You're one with Him. You've got His Spirit in you. And now you've got to learn to let Him out of you. You don't have to try and become love. You need to learn that love is in you. And as you learn that, and as you, you have the opportunity to love someone, you step out in that and you love them, however that looks, and then what happens is it makes you more sensitive to that. And then you start to grow in loving people. Because you realize you've got love in you. Okay, so the fruitfulness comes as we realize our true identity and we let Him flow out of us. Okay, so chapters 1, 2, and 3 are an inward work of grace. This is your new identity. This is who you are in Christ. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 are an outward flow of grace. You've got to have that inward flow to have an outward flow. Okay? Chapters 4, 5, and 6 are not saying that this is what you need to live up to. It, it is saying this is your potential. Every single one of us have the potential to compete in the Olympics. Pick a sport and we, you, you have that potential, I'm sure. I'm convinced of it. But, we, we're amongst friends here and family, but, but I don't know if any of us would make it <laughs> if we were just thrown in the deep end tonight, you know? Uh, okay, you're going to swim a 100 meter whatever. Like, it, maybe you would surprise us, but, you know, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, the point is, is like it's, a, it's a potential which you need to grow in. Okay, And this whole chapter, everything speaks about our relationships with each other. Verse 28 says specifically, Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, work, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Okay, um, I like how uh, the, the Passion puts this. It says, Instead, let him be industrious, earning an honest living, and then you'll have enough to bless those in need. I really like this because Paul is saying, hey, you know, don't, 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 don't keep stealing. Don't take what's not yours. Go and earn an honest living. Put your hands to something so the blessing of God can flow through you so you can earn an income. For what purpose? To be a blessing. So he's trying to get the thief to focus on uh, 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 not just being self-centered, but being a blessing in community. And this shows us that even if you've never been a thief, 
This is showing us what we, the attitude we should all have. <coughs> that of, I am here to be a blessing. We should all be seeking to be a blessing. He wasn't just saying, if you're a thief, pre- previous thief, former thief, now you the one who has to earn an income and start being a blessing. This is probably the standard for everyone. He's just highlighting the thief because of where they've come from. Okay? Verse 29 is really good. It says, Let no corrupt or rotten word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, building up, that it may impart divine influence to the hearers. Okay? The Amplified says, Let no foul language or polluting language, nor evil word, nor unwholesome, worthless talk ever come out of your mouth, but only such speech as is good and beneficial to the spiritual progress of others. Now why I'm bringing this up is because if you go to a, 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 a fountain and you're wanting to, to get some water, a water fountain, and you push the button, you want to drink, how many of you want that thing to come from the sea? The water's direct from... from you know, uh, 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 what are we? Atlantic, Indian Ocean, whichever one. You know, uh, how many of you want to drink that straight? No one. Why? Because it's not pleasant. <laughs> and if you drink too much, it'll kill you. You know, the point is, is that if you go to a water fountain, you want something you can drink. You know, uh, uh, a, a Christian, someone coming into contact with us, should encounter love. So that's why Paul's just showing, hey guys. This isn't a, a burden. This is just who you are now. Okay? He's saying, you know, people shouldn't be, be hearing you say one thing, I'm a Christian, but then hearing everything else you're going and saying, this doesn't match up. You know, I said it a couple of weeks ago. When, 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 some, when your colleague or your friend that you've known for a long time hears that you're a Christian, they shouldn't fall off their chair. And go, my goodness, really? <laughs> and I mean, what a bad testimony if they even went so far as to say, I've been praying for you for years to get saved. It's like, that's a poor testimony. I knew there was something different about you. That's a better testimony. <laughs> you know, why, you know, why are you so... I, I thought you were like too positive just to be normal. You know, happy-go-lucky or whatever the case is. <laughs> you know, the point is, is all of our speech, everything we say should be encouraging people in the goodness of God. It should be building people up. Okay? And if, you know, we took this verse to heart, a lot of Christians would have nothing to say. <laughs> because their whole vocabulary would have to change. Because there's too many negative Christians in the world. We, we, we kind of think, that, you know, I, I, I like to look at it like this. The Christian is the eternal optimist. So we are optimistic at our core. I, I mentioned this, mo- this morning, my, my wife said uh, at dinner the other night, she said, you know, she watched a, an interview or read something about the, um, the Holocaust. And a, 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 um, a Jewish, what do you call him? Psychiatrist was in one of the concentration camps and uh, he was doing what psychiatrists do. He was observing people. And he was evaluating them. And he said that, you know, he, he, he summed it up by going, there's a bunch of uh, 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 optimists who are just like, you know what? It's, we're going to get out of this. It's going to be okay. Like it's, it's, it, things are going to change soon. He said they were the first to die. <laughs> then you've got the pessimists who were like, this is horrible. Like it's all going to, like this is, this, is, this is the end. Like, you know, this is the world's ending now. This is it for us. They were the next to go. And he said, then you had a bunch of people who were, were, were um, 
kind of just focused on the day and saying, we're, we're going to make the most of the day. We're here now. Let's, let's just get through today. They made it. They were the majority of the people who made it. Okay? And the point is, it's like optimism isn't Christianity. But the Christian is always optimistic because we've always got a hope. And so biblical optimism, you could just say, is faith. There's no negativity in faith. But I'm a realist. Well, get saved. <laughs> I like this meme I saw. It said what? Uh, uh, you got the optimist. Gla- well, I don't know which is which. But you got the, the, the glasses half empty person. You got the glasses half full person. And then you've got the psalmist. My cup runneth over. That should be the biblical perspective. Like there's just like you, you, you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death and nobody knows about it. Because you're just like dancing. You're, you're rejoicing because you know God is with you. That's how, how we should be as believers, because we, we trust God, we know God. So, you know, we need to realize, like, we really are responsible for what we say. We're responsible to the people around us for what we say. You can't just be a loose cannon and just, I just need to get this off my chest. You know? I hesitate, I, I was thinking of saying grow up, but I'm not going to say that, because it's nasty a little bit. The point is, it's like that's not maturity speaking. If we want to, if 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 we just want to speak our mind, this scripture is encouraging us to speak what is useful and and helpful in building other people up, not tearing them down. Okay, we should be people who are building each other up. There's enough condemnation, there's enough shame in the world, and all of that. We don't have to be part of that. Okay, so go down to verse 32, chapter 4, verse 32. It says. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So, this gives us, first of all, it's, it's describing the Christian. We are people who forgive. We are people who do not hold grudges. We are people who don't hold on to things. We let it go. We won't sing. <laughs> we let it go and, and, and we forgive. Why? This gives us the reason why. Okay, it says, even as God in Christ forgave you. So someone may have really hurt you. Someone may have really just like crossed the line and done something horribly wrong. And you might be saying, I've got every right to uh, 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 hold a grudge. I've got every right to, to hold it against them and never forgive them. Because what they did was unforgivable. Okay? This verse is saying that you need to look, basically, at Christ having forgiven you of everything. The fact that you were just a sinner. Even if you never did anything wrong, you were still a sinner that needed forgiveness. And He forgave you. He, he, he made you right. Okay? Who wants to be the best sinner? It, 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 that's not how it works. He, he made you right and you put your faith in Him. You, did, you, you received His grace. You didn't deserve His grace. And when you meditate on His love and His forgiveness, it helps you to be able to forgive others. It helps you to be able to, to uh, extend grace towards others. You cannot give grace towards someone else whilst you have not received grace yourself. You cannot extend forgiveness when you don't realize that you've got forgiveness and how much forgiveness you've got. So if you're struggling to forgive someone, stop trying to forgive them. That's my encouragement to you tonight. Just forget about them and focus in on how much He's forgiven you. Focus in on how much He loves you. And then in due course, start praying for that individual that they may know God's love. 
And you'll start to see, I'm convinced, all of a sudden you're going to start to flow in forgiveness towards them. So let's go over to chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, now the, the Bible wasn't written in chapters and verses, and so that's why we're continuing on, because Paul is continuing on with the same thought. And so he says, in view of this, in view of everything that I've said up until now, be imitators of God as dear children. Walk in love. You can't walk in love if you don't have love. Okay, we'll get there now. Walk in love as Christ has also uh, loved us and given Himself for us, an offering and sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. That's awesome. The Message Bible puts it beautifully and says, Watch what God does, and then you do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. Mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with Him and learn a life of love. I want to pause there and just say this. God's not expecting you to try and love people. God's not expecting you to try and be more kind towards people. Okay? That's something that's in you, but what He would like is for you just to observe Him. Focus in on how He loves you, and it will rub off on you. It will start to flow forth from you. Mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with Him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He's not cautious in loving you. Now this is what you need to focus on if you're struggling to love others. You need to focus on how He just extravagantly loved you. How He just you know, wants to show you how much He loves you. I mean, this is, this is beautiful. Then he goes on and says, He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. So, I like this verse because it's showing us, let me just get it again, basically the, 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 the solution for we need to love more, so how do we love more? It's, it's just focus on his love for us. And as you, you focus on His love for you, it starts to flow towards other people. Now I'm sure every single one of us wants to love God more. Every single one of us wants to love other people more. Even if you don't know, you really know that you want to, I'm sure you do. Because yeah, it, 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 it helps you to enjoy life more. I mean, we all know people like that. None of us are like that here, right? We all know those people who just don't like people. We all know those kind of people who, who don't, are just like bitter and twisted and don't love anybody. They'd rather stay home. Okay, we're all here, so it's obviously none of us. <laughs> and, and, and I mean, they aren't pleasant people. And they are also generally like suffering themselves with all sorts of things. Physical ailments and all sorts of things. What is the answer for that? Well, what part of the answer is experience God's unconditional Love And as you do, it changes you and things start to flow in your life better. You, you become a, a kinder person. You, you know, I, I remember a, 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 a friend of mine saying that his grandmother, or great-grandmother or something, he, she used to sit in the chair on the rocking chair in the corner and she used to read her Bible for hours, like three, four hours she would read the Bible. And then she'd put the Bible down and she'd be like a snake. All of a sudden, she'd just start attacking everyone in the house. Like just, 
And he's like, it is the weirdest thing to see. She'd sit and she's reading her Bible and then all of a sudden she puts it down and it's just like attack, 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 destroy, destroy. And I was like, I can tell you now, she wasn't fellowshipping with Jesus. <laughs> she was not receiving from Jesus. She wasn't experiencing his love. Because if she did, she wouldn't have been like that. Evidence is in the fruit. So the point I'm making is that we too can spend hours in the Word. Or hours on our knees. It doesn't matter. What does matter is we need to make sure that we're connecting to Jesus because He's a real person and, and, and His a, a, a relationship with God is something real and tangible and we're engaging with Him, we're encountering Him and we're allowing Him to love on us and then we're allowing that love to change us and transform us so that we walk out of our quiet time or out of our time of fellowship with Him a different person, a better person. And everyone around you in your whole life shouted, Amen, Hallelujah. Because you know, you're experiencing the life-transforming power of the love of God, which is helping you to be a better person. It'll impact you at work. It'll impact you at college. It'll, it'll impact your whole life. Just receiving His love like this. Okay? So a church I was in for a while. Lovely church. But they focused in on... Yeah, making sure that we would love God properly and we would love other people properly. And that's quite burdensome. There's even a song about it, you know. And it's, it's, it's legalism. Okay? Jesus actually said something like that. Matthew 22. Go to Matthew 22 and let's look at the couple of verses there. Matthew 22, 35 and, uh, to 40. Matthew 22, 35 to 40 says, Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him, saying, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Okay, now we're going to have to pace ourselves and you're going to have to stick with me. So a lawyer, an expert in the, lawyer, in the law, comes to Jesus to do what? tempt him to test him so this wasn't a polite atmosphere this wasn't a loving atmosphere it was a trap he was trying to trap jesus okay so he and he even says to him master what is he doing he's buttering jesus up or he's trying to he's trying to appeal to ego he's trying to kind of catch him Good master, some translations say. Uh, uh, what is the greatest commandment in the law? This is a, a good, good, good trap. A lot of people, uh, uh, grace Christians would fail at this, this test. And I'll show you why in a moment. Okay. So, let's ask this question. Why was he asking, what is the greatest commandment? Because Jesus is full of grace and truth. Jesus is Mr. Grace Man. He's hanging out with sinners and publicans, tax collectors. He, 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 he's hanging out with prostitutes. He's ministering to people. He's loving on people. He's Mr. Grace Man. Okay? And, and he's, not, uh, 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 he, he's not like the Pharisees who would be the law man. Okay? He's not like the, the, the priests of, of the day and all of that. And um, <clears throat> he's full of grace. Okay? And so they, he, this guy's pretty much saying... Um, Trying to tempt Jesus to speak against the holy law of Moses. For what purpose? To stone him. 
They're wanting to get rid of Jesus. They've been plotting and trying and planning and now, Master, what, what is the greatest commandment? I, I suspect he was expecting Jesus to say, we're not under the law anymore. We're under grace. That's how many of us would answer it. You're not under law, you're under grace. Yeah? <laughs> I've come to, I haven't come to abolish the law, but I've come to replace it. We're under new covenant. Don't, don't look to Moses anymore. Look to me. Yeah, they've got their rocks behind them, ready to, to start throwing them. Jesus is, is, is pretty wise. Okay? And he responds, verse 37. He says unto them, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like unto it. Thou shalt love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So Jesus quotes Deuteronomy. Okay? This verse comes from Deuteronomy. Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy, which would please them. <laughs> okay, they would be happy with him quoting the, from the books of Moses. And, uh, uh, and he says, these are the greatest commandments. Okay? Jesus is very clever, I think. Instead of you know, saying, hey, I'm bringing a new covenant to replace the old and, and getting stoned, it would have created a toxic situation. He's saying that love is the fulfillment. He's saying love fulfills the law and the prophets. He's saying love fulfills Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and the rest of the Old Testament. Love fulfills this. Okay? In other words, the entire Jewish Bible is fulfilled in love. That's the greatest commandment. Okay? And he doesn't just make this up. He doesn't just add a new law. He quotes Deuteronomy to reinforce this. So they, they stump. They can't do anything. Okay? The fulfillment of the Old Testament is love God and love others. Correct? Wrong. The fulfillment of the Old Testament is love God and love others as you love yourself. Religion will always exclude you. But Jesus included you there. God includes you there. Love God and love others as you love yourself. Religion gets us to focus on I'm nothing. Religion tries to get you to focus on you're not lovely, but you need to just pour yourself out and just love other people and love, love God with everything. But it's like, you're important. God loves you. So, so if you don't love you, who's wrong, God or you? It's not a trick question. <laughs> you're wrong if you don't love yourself. Now, we're not talking about being in love with yourself. Okay, that's not what we're talking about. But here, it's three vital relationships are 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 mentioned in this passage. Okay, relationship with God, relationship with yourself, and relationship with others. And as we look at Ephesians chapter four, five, and six, we see relationship with others is is, is coming up a lot. But relationship with God and with uh, ourselves is mentioned in chapters one, two, and three. Okay, but now I want to show you something. Okay, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. How many of you have done that? Nobody's done that. I can promise you that. I haven't done that. Jesus is probably the only one who could do that. Love God with everything. Okay, We, 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 don't, we, don't, we don't meet that mark of loving God and others with everything. Or even loving ourselves properly. 
Okay, so there, there, there's a, a specific key in this that we need to see. Okay, 1 John chapter 4 verse 10. 1 John chapter 4 verse 10 says, In this is love, not that we love God, but He loved us and sent His Son to be the payment for our sin. So, what is love? Not that we love God, but He loved us. And then another verse says, We love Him because He first loved us. Now, that was written in the first book of John. When it was written, did it become a truth or was it a truth? It was a truth. The apostle just wrote down the, the truth that was, that we could read. Okay. It's important to see that. So let me, let me ask you this question. Did Jesus know that truth? Because he, he was on earth way before it was written. So did Jesus know that we love God because he first loved us? Obviously. <laughs> okay. So Jesus says to the, 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 the experts in the law, you will love the Lord your God with everything and love your neighbor as yourself. Here's the flow. Okay? If we need to love God with everything, we can't do that without first knowing His love. So it starts with us going, Father, I want to know your love. Reveal your love to me. Show me your love. And then we get established in the love of God. And as we know His unconditional love, which, which is limitless and which is extravagant, and that he's just, He just loves you. When, you. when you see that and you're established in that, what happens? All of a sudden, you love Him. Some, some, some you know, I don't know, maybe this is your story, Gareth. Uh, 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 you had to woo Riona a little bit. I'm making up a story for you now. <laughs> you had to woo Riona before you got married, and it was a case of, you know, actually, we've got a proper story of, of this, so I don't have to make up your story. Our pastor's in um, Albania. I'll shift the focus off of you. Our pastor's in Albania. He had a dream, and he was like, I love this woman, I want to marry her, she's my wife, God's told me, and I've always said, don't say that, please, ever, until you're married. God told me you'd be my wife. <laughs> That's when you say that. But, but now, now he goes and he tells her, and I'm like, buddy, you don't do that like that. <laughs> what did she, how did she respond to it? She ignored him for two and a half years or something. She did, in the same church, and they, they, he, she never acknowledged his existence, never spoke to him, nothing. And eventually one day she comes to me and she's like, Shane, am I being a bit hard on him? And I was like, I think you are. Why not? Like, why, why wouldn't you, you, you be interested in it? He's a godly man. Yeah, I, I didn't think of it like that. <laughs> they're married, they've got two kids, they're on mission, they're pastoring the church in Albania. <laughs> okay, the point is, is that he had to pursue her and love on her and he would always be giving her gifts through other people. You know, and sometimes trying not to make sure that, that he, you know, is found out. And, because it's just like love wants to give. Love gives its best. For God so loved the world that he gave. So love gives, okay? But that love has to be received, right? And she rejected it for a long time. But then eventually she, she let a little bit of it come. And then it's just like the walls are broken down. The same thing with us and God. If we just let God love us and we experience His love and we see how much He loves us, it breaks down the walls in our hearts so that we're like, wow, God loves me. I love God so much. And then you respond to Him and you're like, I love you, Lord. You know? 
But there's something else that happens in the, in the, in the process there. You, you get to this place of, wow, God loves me. How can I not love him? Like, like, why would God love me? And then you start to connect the dots and you're like, well, if I'm worth loving, then I must love myself. And then you start to have a healthy value of yourself. And this healthy value of yourself, this love for yourself, will determine how you treat other people. Because we, we, we love Him because He first loved us, and then we love others as we love ourselves. You cannot love others if you don't love yourself. And you can only love others in proportion to the degree you love yourself. So the way you're loving people or not is a reflection on your, the view and value that you have of you. And that is a reflection on how much you've allowed God to love you. It's amazing if you see this. Because it takes all the pressure off of you having to forgive people. It takes all the pressure off of you having to love people and be a nice person. And it just gets you to one place, one position, one posture. God, I want to know your love. And I just, I want to receive your love. Help me to experience your love. Help me to know your love. Help me to know the height, the depth, the breadth, the length. That prayer from Ephesians chapter 3 that we've already looked at, is key in all of this. The more we know His love, the more we are transformed and changed. It's not a, a, a work of the flesh that we have to try and do in order to become. Okay, It's just focus in on His love. It's not about how much you love God. It's about how much He loves you. And when you come to know that love, it'll, you'll start to see it in your life. Um, let's go to Romans chapter 12 keeps echoing in my head <laughs> but Romans chapter 12 says this too you know like I've, I've really been in a place of we, we you know, challenged with you know, we really just need to yield more to God yield more say yes to the Lord more and and surrender more to him because then it's like that saying you know um, the world is yet to see what God can do through one man that's fully sold out for him. that whole thought you know and it's like so how do we live there because you can put pressure on yourself and on other people. I can put pressure on you this evening. Get all of us on our knees, recommitting to God, and you know, we're going to go for it. But what good is that unless it's with, from the right motivation? The right motivation is found here, Romans chapter 12. Okay, let me just, uh, verse 1 and 2, from the New Living, or, uh, New King James, it says, I beseech you, I urge you, I beg you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So this is saying that we should be living, yes, Lord, lives. A living sacrifice. What is a sacrifice? It's something that's killed on an altar, right? So a living sacrifice is not killed. A living sacrifice can get off the altar. That's the, uh, that's the picture here. That it's painting for us. That, that we need to present ourselves willingly to God and say, God, here's my life, here's my everything, it's all for you. This is my desire to honor you. Lord, I give you my heart, I give you my life, I live for you alone. It's free will. It's something that we're offering to Him and giving to Him. But if you're trying, I can encourage you to do that and I can stir you up to do that, but it's legalism without the right motivation. 
Why should we live for God? Why should we present ourselves holy and acceptable unto God? Which is a reasonable worship. It's acceptable worship. In view of His mercies. It's, the first point there is vital. In view of God's mercies, present yourself. So if you're struggling to surrender, if you're struggling to yield to God and say yes to the Lord and live for Him in every area of your life, what do you do? Try harder. <laughs> no. Wake up earlier. No. Fast more. No. What do you do? You focus in on the goodness of God. You focus in on His mercies. You focus in on how much He loves you. And you allow that to impact you. You allow that to transform you. And you'll find yourself on your knees very quickly. Because you'll be overwhelmed by His goodness. Overwhelmed by His love. Overwhelmed by everything that He's done for you. And you'll be like, I cannot but live for you, Jesus. You know, I, um, I didn't want to start a church. I wasn't interested in church ministry. I liked ministry, but I didn't like church. And uh, I was so impacted by the gospel of grace, it changed my life so much, that we couldn't not start a church. You know, my, my wife and I finished uh, first year Bible school, and uh, um, we accidentally started a church after that. And we had to go to second year Bible school, Mondays through Fridays, and, and then on the weekends we were pastoring a church. We, so we were, that's where we met Riona and, uh, and Garris. We would drive through to Heidelberg from Stellenbosch and be at college in the week and drive back to Stellenbosch Fridays, Saturdays, Sundays, where we'd pastor the church. And, you know, that's crazy. But we were doing it and, and we were enjoying it. And then, you know, we started another church after that and it just kept growing. Why? Because we were like, we're not trying to get brownie points with God. We're not trying to get accepted by God. We're not doing this because we want God to like us. <laughs> we're not doing this for anything other than God. You, we, we're so impacted by your love that we want to do more for you. That's why the Apostle Paul could say, by, but because of grace, I labor more abundantly. You know, the only way to, to, to have fruitfulness and labor more abundantly is when we're focused in on His grace, on what He's done for us, in view of His mercies. So you saying, yes, Lord, you dealing with lust, you dealing with an addiction, you overcoming different things in your life, starts with in view of His mercies. It doesn't come from focusing on the problem. Stopping whatever habit that you're trying to stop doesn't come from focusing on that problem and trying to break it. What does it come from? In view of God's mercies. Focusing on His love for you, allowing that love to transform you and change you, allowing His love to change your opinion of yourself so that you're like, you're, you're a better person. Amen? You're transformed. You're enjoying life now. The people around you are experiencing love from you. And it's not just love like the world knows it. It's self-sacrificial love. It's agape. It's God's kind of love in you and God's kind of love through you. Amen? Father, we just, we just thank you that we can know your love. We can experience your love. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you that we can experience your love. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see is an experience. We can experience the goodness of God. Thank you for that, Father. 
That your goodness is not just something intellectual. That your goodness is not just something we sing about. Your goodness is not something that other people just testify about. Your goodness, your love, is something that you want every single one of us to experience. Your goodness is something that you want us to be overwhelmed by. Your grace, your mercy, your love. Just think about His love for a moment. His love is without any condition. There's no price tag for His love. There's no price tag for His forgiveness. He loves you. Father, I just thank You right now just for every single one of us to be overwhelmed by Your love and Your grace and Your mercy right now. You've saved us from so much. We're thankful, Father. We thank You for Your goodness in our lives. Thank You that we have eternity in us. That we can have this friendship with You. Father, I'm asking that this week, every single one of us would just be so sensitive to the ministry of Your Spirit to know that we are loved by You and to allow that love to, be, to impact our opinion of You, our opinion of ourselves, and our opinion of other people. And as that happens, I thank You that it, we're just going to see transformation in us. I just, just feel in my heart, there's some of you here that you've been wanting to, you've got something stirring in you, you want to do something big for God. This is the start of something big for God. Is you allowing His love to change the way that you see Him, the way that you see yourself, and the way that you see other people. And as you allow that to happen, it's the seed of revival. It's the seed of great things happening through your life. Father, we just, we just so thankful for your love, for your goodness. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If you're ever in the Cape Town area, we want to invite you to come fellowship with us at one of our life groups or Sunday gatherings. You can find out more about Grace Life Rondebosch via email info at gracelife.co or check us out on our Facebook page Grace Life Rondebosch